0: Medication and physical therapy have been the mainstay treatments for controlling neurologic symptoms associated with Parkinson's disease. One strategy for reducing the characteristic tremors, rigidity, and slow movement has focused on deep brain stimulation. What are the risks and benefits of the surgical intervention? When is it indicated, and how does it compare with medical treatment for Parkinson's disease? You are listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Neurology. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Matthew Stern, the Parker Family Professor of Neurology and Director of the Parkinson's Disease and Movement Disorders Center at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Stern.
1: Thanks, Jennifer. Nice to be here.
0: Can you tell us what exactly is deep brain stimulation?
1: Well, deep brain stimulation is a procedure where a small electrode is inserted into a deep part of the brain that has a significant role in controlling movement. And by putting an electrode and hooking that electrode up to a stimulator that sits under the clavicle, just like a cardiac pacemaker, that stimulator gives a constant impulse and it essentially changes the balance of output from that structure where the electrode is. And in Parkinson's disease, the net effect of that stimulation is to restore the balance of neurotransmission back towards normal. So patients that are having dramatic fluctuations in their ability to move are often improved dramatically with this implant.
0: And what are the targets of the brain for the electrode placement?
1: Well, there are several different targets. The major targets in Parkinson's disease are two deep structures called the subthalamic nucleus or the globus pallidus, and these deep nuclear structures are intimately involved in the control of movement.
0: How long has deep brain stimulation been in use in this country?
1: Well, it's not been in use for approximately a decade, but we've been refining the patients that are most qualified to benefit from this. We're looking carefully at side effects. We're looking at long-term outcomes and trying to get a better handle on who is the best candidate for this procedure because it's an involved procedure, it's an expensive procedure, and it's a procedure that occasionally is associated with side effects. On the other hand, if the patient is appropriately selected, we see sometimes dramatic improvement, and many patients who have this procedure cannot believe how well they are able to function compared to how they were before they had the procedure.
0: So historically, what has been the indication for use of deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's disease?
1: Well, for the past 40 or 50 years, we have really devoted most of our attention to developing medications for the treatment of Parkinson's disease. And the uh, advent of the drug L-DOPA in the late 1960s was really a revolution in the treatment of a neurological disorder and patients that were once bedridden took this drug and magically almost were able to move again. And since that time, we've refined medications, we've developed other medications, but have always gotten stuck with patients who have been on medications for a number of years and develop what we call motor complications. Uh, Now, These patients, and this is most patients who are on these drugs for a period of years, will gradually require more and more drug, will develop involuntary movements as if they have too much medication, We'll go through periods of the day where the medications aren't working and they're literally frozen. And it's those patients that we really just didn't have a treatment for. Fortunately, the advent of deep brain stimulation was perfect for these patients because it enabled them to take less medication, smooth out their day-to-day function, and limited the amount of time that they spent in this so-called off condition. And it's the off condition that we really strive to improve in patients who have advancing Parkinson's disease.
0: In a little bit, I'd like to spend some time on the study that you were involved with that compared deep brain stimulation with medical therapy. But first, can you tell us what the advantages of deep brain stimulation might be?
1: In patients who have advanced Parkinson's disease, who have these motor complications, and when I say motor complications, I'm talking about they wear off, their drug lasts for only a few hours, and they shut down, or they have excessive movements. And patients who have reached this point there's very little in the way of medications that we can do for them. It's just a very frustrating set of circumstances to deal with. And the advantage of deep brain stimulation is that these patients can be treated, and they can improve dramatically, even though there's very little we could have done with medications alone. So it really affords us a new therapeutic strategy in patients that would otherwise have to endure these sort of constant motor fluctuations through the course of their day.
0: And when you talked about putting that pacemaker-type stimulator underneath the clavicle, that makes the system adjustable. Is that correct? That's
1: correct. So we can actually bring patients in and adjust the stimulation parameters depending upon their response. And that brings up another important point, and that is that in order to do this procedure effectively, it should be done in an experienced institution with neurologists and neurosurgeons that are used to dealing with every aspect of this from the surgical procedure itself to the follow-up and post-operative care and to the long-term programming adjustments. We have patients that come in every several months to have their stimulator programmed.
0: I've also read that the deep brain stimulation can be reversible. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, you can always take it out. The advantage of, of deep brain stimulation is you're not making a lesion in the brain. And the original neurosurgical procedures in Parkinson's disease were what we call ablative procedures, where a lesion would actually be placed in the thalamus or other structures of the brain in an attempt to alleviate some of the symptoms, the advantage of deep brain stimulation is you're putting an electrode in, and that electrode can always be removed.
0: Have you found it necessary to remove the electrode often?
1: Not often, but in upwards of 10% of our cases, we have to deal with infections, and uh, it is hardware, and hardware does tend to get infected periodically, and so occasionally we've had to remove the electrode and treat the infection and then again maybe reinsert it several months later that is one of the surgical complications
0: does the equipment need to be replaced as well over time or can it stay indefinitely as long as it doesn't get infected
1: yeah the electrodes can stay indefinitely we replace the battery every several years which means a minor surgical procedure and you know one of the advances in technology will hopefully be a longer lasting battery or a battery that can be charged external to the body these are some of the advances that we're looking at in the near future but at this time Usually, patients have to have the stimulator, the part that's under the clavicle, replaced every or five years.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Neurology, from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Matthew Stern, the Parker Family Professor of Neurology and Director of the Parkinson's Disease and Movement Disorder Center at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. We're discussing deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's disease. Now, let's talk about your study, which compared deep brain stimulation with best medical therapy. What makes this study unique?
1: Believe it or not, as long as we have these procedures, and they they seem to be working terrifically in open-label studies, there were very few studies comparing patients who really had the best medical therapy available over a period of time to be compared with patients that had the surgical procedure. And what we were interested in is not just the pure motor benefit, but also whether there were other characteristics of the surgically treated patients that we want to know about, like side effects, like changes in personality, mood, intellectual function. And there hadn't been any previous studies this large that compared this many patients with surgery to medical therapy, other than one study in Europe that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine that was done a slightly different way. So this was really one of the largest studies of its type, and we learned a lot from it.
0: What do you mean when you're saying best medical therapy when you're comparing deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's?
1: Well, we would take patients that came into our clinics that had these relatively severe fluctuations that were not being adequately treated with medications, and we'd randomize them. Uh, Half the patients would go on to receive surgery immediately, and the other half would continue to be followed by their doctor with whatever medical adjustments that doctor felt was indicated. And, you know, as you can imagine, at that point, medical choices were somewhat limited. But there were, you know, there's always some adjustments that could be made. And then six months later, those patients underwent surgery as well. So the first six months, we were just comparing patients who received surgery with patients who did not, essentially.
0: And so what are some of the neurologic outcomes that you measured in these patients with Parkinson's disease?
1: Well, the main outcome, of course, was simply how much time did a patient who underwent surgery spend in the on state? In other words, how much of their day was on and functional compared to the patients treated with medications? And this is not surprising. We did see that patients who received surgery were on upwards of four to five hours more a day. Now, just to put that in perspective, many of the newer drugs that have been approved by the FDA for treatment of Parkinson's disease improved on time by approximately one hour. And here, this procedure was able to give patients four to five more hours during the day in which they were functionally on. That is dramatic. That is a dramatic increase in function. That was the major motor finding. There were some other subtle findings, though, that I think are important to share, and that is uh, surgical adverse effects. Certainly, patients who underwent surgery had more side effects than the patients who uh, had medical treatment, things like infection, as we already talked about. There were infections in these patients, and that was upwards of 10%, so that's an important factor. The other somewhat disturbing finding was that in patients who had surgery, there were some subtle cognitive abnormalities that we found, some things like verbal memory and things that may not be directly noticed by a family or a patient or a physician these are subtle changes in neuropsychological parameters that really need to be defined and really need to be followed up. But I consider these a surgical adverse effect as well and, and something that may turn out to be relevant in, in the future. So the message from this is that yes, this is a terrific procedure in well selected patients, but the risks and the surgical adverse effects have always have to be weighed in consideration of who is an excellent candidate for this procedure.
0: You mentioned that the deep brain stimulation patients had a much longer time on the on stage of their Parkinson's disease, on a range of four to five hours more per day. How did that impact their quality of life? Did that mean that some of them were able to work or to do more right. activities? I mean, I, or?
1: Yeah, I mean that's exactly right. Is that these patients who, before surgery, were spending much of their day fluctuating between a you know an on function and an off function, now are spending most of their day in what we call this on state, which is their functional state. So that causes a dramatic change in lifestyle. And, and yes, many of these patients were doing things that they thought they could no longer do again. In fact, one of our surgical complications was a man who fell off a roof because he was climbing ladders, and you know we had to consider that an adverse effect in the surgical group. But in point of fact, he was so much more active that he did something stupid and ended up falling and hurting himself. But when you see the results in some of these patients, it is nothing short of dramatic. I'm generally conservative here, and my skeptical message is that that's all well and good, but read between the lines and realize that these patients have to be carefully selected, that there are some adverse effects, that 10% of our patients had infections, that a few patients had other surgical complications. So, yes, this is a great procedure, and our study confirmed that, but if we're being completely thorough, then it's important to recognize that there are adverse effects as well.
0: So even with the adverse effects, though, if the improvement on motor function is so dramatic for our patients with Parkinson's disease, do you think there's a place for deep brain stimulation as an earlier therapy or a first-line therapy as opposed to medical treatment?
1: It's a good question, and the short answer is no, I don't. I think that there are people out there saying that by putting a stimulator in this particular part of the brain... We are interfering with excitatory neurotransmission, and therefore, we may have some impact on the natural history of the disease, and that may be true, and and yes, our patients down the line may turn out to have a slower rate of progression. On the other hand, my own feeling is that this is not something that should be done in early disease because the treatments that we have available to us, which are much more benign, are very effective at controlling symptoms in patients with mild to moderate Parkinson's disease.
0: Are there any studies that compare the long-term prognosis of medical treatment versus surgical intervention?
1: No, what we're looking at in our study is that we do have a cohort here where we delayed surgery for six months in our best medical treatment arm. So what we can do is we can look at our patients three, four years down the line, and we can determine whether by delaying surgery in that medically treated group, we ultimately ended up harming them in the long term. In other words, is a six-month delay in surgery Does that translate into a worse outcome when we look at these patients two and three years down the line?
0: If offered to them as a procedure, do most patients choose deep brain stimulation? Is that something that patients are asking for or is that something that the physicians are recommending? Yes.
1: At the time that they are having these particular difficulties, most patients are very amenable to have this procedure. I mean, that speaks to how uncomfortable it is to spend your day fluctuating between these periods of on and off. We call it yo-yoing. And that is so uncomfortable for patients that they are readily amenable to having a surgical procedure like this.
0: I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Matthew Stern. We've been discussing deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's disease. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to a special segment Focus on neurology from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at reachmd.com.